This is Pete Moore on Halo Talks NYC. I have the pleasure of having a old and good friend of mine, John Canerick, coming from North Castle Partners, the earliest investors in what I would say the Halo sector even before it was created. Health, active lifestyle, outdoors, a storied uh, investment uh, career and a strong firm in the space. So, John, welcome to Halo Talks. Thanks, Pete. Uh, thanks for having me. Great. So, um, you know, I wanted to use this podcast to give people a little bit of a crash course on, you know, growth equity investors, private equity, what you guys do, what you look for. You know, I know that a lot of entrepreneurs, when they come to us, they say, hey, you know, could you help us get to North Castle? And I'll say, hey, look, yeah, in like three or five years, I'll get you to North Castle. Right now, you got to build your business to a point where it's interesting to them. So maybe give a little background on how you guys think about ideas, kind of what you track over time and then say, hey, this is this is our, our best entry point. And here we can help, you know, when you're at that inflection point to get you to the next level. Right. Yeah. Happy to do that. So, you know, just by way of background, um, I, I, for people that are not familiar with our name, we, we are very focused. And so we do track companies, um, you know, within the health and wellness or halo spaces from early uh, uh, sizes. In many cases, we meet a lot of entrepreneurs, either through people like you, Pete, or just out and about in the world of, of, of networking. But, you know, as you noted, um, we don't get involved right away. For North Castle, I'd say there's two, broadly speaking, there's two types of entry points. There's there's one, which is more than half of our investment capital, which is in the control leverage buyout industry um, or, or, or size, I should say. And so, you know, businesses that are proven, profitable, leverageable, founders are looking for a wealth diversification event and also help uh, perhaps, you know, managing the company and, and, and continuing its growth. I don't think that's the group you were primarily asking me about. I think the other group. Uh, where we spend, you know, sort of 30 to 40% of our capital in, in growth equity investing or businesses that are uh, not yet profitable or, or not yet cash flow positive, perhaps perhaps profitable on paper, but have something that's a, a proof point, uh, need additional capital to, uh, to grow it and are looking for a partner to kind of help achieve that. And so for us, um, while there's no hard and fast rules, we're, we're certainly in the double digits of revenues and and, and tend to look for something that's 15 million or so. In the case of multi-unit retail, we tend to look for something that has, uh, you know, at least four uh, locations and is, is, is you know, are, are doing double-digit revenue across those four, and that that they're achieving that in at least two, more likely three cities um, or or different types of geographies. So, you know, someone who's uh, nailing New York City and and doing a great job and it's been able to expand to four stores is not something that we're necessarily going to invest in yet because, you know, has to have proof beyond something that works in one market uh, or beyond the personality of that one founder. So we tend to get involved sort of 15 million of revenue and up. Um, we have done a little bit less before, uh, but that tends to be where we, where we come in. Gotcha. So when you take a look at opportunities and, you know, we all have like our internal, you know, kind of scorecards and checklists, you know, where do you see, where, where, where are parts of a company where you say, you know what, they don't necessarily have to have that because I can help fix that. Whether it's like, hey, I don't have a strong CFO, but like, that's not, that we, we can help with that. And where, where areas where you're like, you know what, like, that's not something that we can fix. Like if your product's not, you know, performing, like that's, 
that we're probably not the right guys for that. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, on, on your product example. I mean, we, on the, on the, not looking to fix side is is that proof of concept as you just you sort of talk about or um, on the product side we you know, not not 100% of the time but we tend to look for some scientific reason from legitimate intellectual property for for it to you know to exist uh, in the food space or the vitamin space you know some some real and ownable point of differentiation even mm-hmm. if it's modest and uh, on the on the you know the retail side, it's sort of proof of concept that that is growing. You know, to your point, we we are not overly concerned about infrastructure um, and depth of team. Um, we get very excited about great entrepreneurs, and we are willing to partner with and and back uh, someone that we perceive to be a great entrepreneur and work with them to help hire uh, that, that that management team underneath uh, him or her. So uh, whether that's a CFO or marketing leadership, um, bringing in agencies from time to time, um, and then helping also to put in infrastructure. So, you know, whether that's um, systems um, or new warehousing or uh, the right, you know, even things as simple as the right insurance and all sorts of things that some firms would look at as sort of getting their hands too dirty, that we're willing to go, you know, really deep on and, and be, be deeply involved in infrastructure and team building. Gotcha. So, you know, you guys own uh, Barry's Bootcamp and you've owned, uh, and you own a Crunch franchisee and you used to own Atkins. Some, someone who I, I don't respect said to me the other day, well, all that company has is a brand. I'm like, well, I mean, think about that for a second. They got a couple of letters and they got like a, a, an image and it, and it exudes some level of trust, promise, authority. So when you look at brands, you know, that might not have, you know, intellectual property protection, how, how do you think about that? And then the, the second part of that question is, how do you feel about being a franchisor versus a franchisee? Well, I'm glad you asked because when I talked about scientific you know, proof points for products, brands um are very powerful and and the you know the smaller a company is the more we're going to probably care about that uh the science side or you know in a case like barry's you'd say well is it science well yeah kind of right i mean they're you're you're it's a, it's a workout method that really you know really really works but um but but brand is the is the ultimate um moat and and so you know, all I have as a brand is a big thing to have. Uh, really hard to build, right? So when someone has 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 built something that resonates with a lot of consumers and drives passion, you know, that's that's when something's investable. So um, brand is everything to us. Um, uh, you know, everything we invest in is a brand, and sometimes we'll we'll get involved where there's not. Uh, necessarily a strong brand established yet, but that's certainly an area where we put a lot of our capital towards. Um, so when we got involved in, in Echelon, right, which was not a strong brand in, in 2019, when we came into it, and obviously the pandemic is, has made you know all connected fitness brands more well known, and Echelon still flying under the radar. But we're we're working hard and putting a lot of money into creating a real you know a real brand there. Mm-hmm. Um, on the franchisor versus franchisee side, um, our investment in Crunch is the first time. That we're invested in a franchisee, we, as you know, Pete, and probably how we know each other, you know, most is we both love the fitness industry, and um, we have played the fitness industry all sorts of ways over the years, but never as a franchisee before. Mm-hmm. Uh, we met the right people and the right brand at the right time is what we think, and so we we made that. You obviously, as an investor who loves brand and likes to help build brands, you do have less. Uh, opportunity as a franchisee, right? The brand is more the responsibility of the franchisor, although 
the way that that brand is carried out in your local market is something that you can control. And you know, in the case of Crunch, we have large area rights, which is very different than if we sort of maybe had an investment in a smaller franchise where perhaps someone owns uh, uh, a different franchise of the same brand a few miles away, right? We, mm-hmm. we are the crunch owner in central uh, and, and, and now most of Southern, uh, not all of, but most of Southern Florida and Atlanta. Uh, so I've enjoyed my time as a franchisee. Again, it's our first, first experience. But given that we are brand centric, we tend to look at franchisors more than franchisees because of that same, you know, that reason, the ability to impact that brand and the consumer value prop. That's great. So let's kind of pivot the conversation for a minute towards valuation. And you and I were both kind of grew up in in valuation based on what a company generates in cash flow, which, you know, probably started when we were starting as as EBIT. And now it's kind of gravitated towards EBITDA. You know, we used to, I used to get a nosebleed if there was anything over, you know, eight times EBITDA. And now they're, you know, probably the average multiple somewhere between like eight to 10 times EBITDA for, for a company. And then you got companies that are being valued based on, you know, multiples of revenue. So how do you kind of eloquently advise an entrepreneur or a, a potential partner that says, look, here's like the fundamentals of how finance works. Maybe there's, you know, outliers and, you know, venture capital firms that are, you know, fear of missing out, but that's not, that's not a real multiple. And, and we just don't operate that way. So maybe give us a little bit of a, you know, uh, pour, pour some, pour some lukewarm water on this party. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, you, you said it well, I mean, it, it is very tempting and common for an entrepreneur to, compare his or her company to, you know, the best uh, comp in the general vicinity, ignoring market share and, 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 or, or in total size of that business and growth rates. And um, I think one of the things that is most commonly misunderstood or maybe least commonly understood uh, to say it a little differently is the correlation between multiples and growth prospects and 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 when I say growth prospects, sales is the first thing everyone thinks of, but earnings, of course, is what really matters in the long run, as you said earlier. And so when you look at some, you know, extremely high valuations of sales, multiples of sales, say a Peloton, um, you know, investors believe that that company uh, over time is going to deliver a tremendous amount of cash flow, right? right. Um, and, and extraordinary growth rates uh, can lead to what look like extraordinary multiples of revenue. Um, but those are the exceptions. And, and um, you know, multiples of revenue certainly come into play with, with smaller businesses that don't have EBITDA because, you know, you got to value them sort of somehow. I also try to explain to people that multiples are proxies. Multiples are ways for people to talk and compare valuations across companies. Multiples are not really how valuations are derived, right? Not valuations are derived by you know what an investor believes will happen to a company over over uh, a medium term, long term period, and ultimately what they think they can sell it for. And we all use multiples to drive those conversations because it's a common language. But you know, just because uh, one connected fitness brand trades for seven or eight times revenue does not mean that they all that they all should, right? There's all sorts of characteristics that that produce those types of uh, uh, you know multiples, um, and that comment certainly applies to every space. And then, you know, within um, you know franchisees versus franchisors, it's like, well, 
if your growth is limited to a certain market, right, by definition, you're going to have a, a bit more of a constrained multiple potentially, right? So there's, it is very dangerous for people to just say, well, so-and-so trades it, you know, 12 times EBITDA, and therefore I should trade at least, you know, 11 times EBITDA or something like that. Uh, it, it, there has to be a correlation to growth. And then the other issue, and you said EBITDA, EBITDA over the years, um, you know, I don't mind EBITDA, but not EBITDA, not all EBITDA is created equal. Uh, some companies have tremendous flow through and EBITDA truly is a decent proxy for, for cash flow, um, at least low growth environment cash flow. Um, other companies spend 30% of EBITDA or 50% of EBITDA in, cap, in CapEx. You right. know, that's not the same thing. And so these proxies are a bit dangerous, but it is how people talk to each other. Yeah. So one of the things just to maybe uh, get it out there on audio, there used to be a private company discount versus the public multiples. And I feel like somehow that got lost in, in discussions. And I feel like our listeners need to understand that when you can go onto your Robinhood or your E-Trade account and own a thousand shares of something and then be able to sell it on the same day, whereas a private company, you might be lucky if you sell that company in four to 12 months. You know, there's typically a liquidity discount. I feel like somehow that got lost in all these conversations. What's your, what's your thoughts on that? That's interesting bring that up because you're right. I mean, that's not something that gets into the conversation very often. And it's very real. Not only that you may not be able to sell it for months or years, it's you may never be able to sell it, right? So um, you also can't trade your way out of it if you have a, um, a better use for that capital, right? That's another major reason why uh, liquidity versus illiquidity matters and why public and liquidity should have a premium. Um, you know, one, I think one of the reasons it's, it's, it's become less of a conversation is that the private markets are just so incredibly mature and there's so much capital on the sidelines that it's perhaps not as illiquid as it once was, but no doubt that there is a difference. And, 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 you know, oftentimes you do need to look at your private companies, uh, with a different eye. If they've really large firm is is the investor or the buyer, again, it sort of matters a little bit less because they have such tremendous access to capital. So um, I think that's part of the reason why it's kind of, you know, faded away, but it's still a very important thing. Yeah. So, you know, when, when you talk about, you know, the, the multitude of private equity firms that are out there right now, you know, there's no shortage of new funds that have been formed that reach out to us and say, hey, we're, you know, want to invest in the halo sector, you know, and there's also a number of firms and private capital sources that, have touted themselves over the last several years that, you know, I'm the most flexible capital, you know, until 90 days into a pandemic and I'm not as flexible anymore, you know, because you got to pay me. So, you know, how do you, as you know, North Castles, you know, almost like one of like the patriarchs, if you will, or matriarchs of the, of the private equities, you know, investing in this space, how much are you able to use that, legacy and that reputation to say, look, I'm going to pay you the same amount. If you want to go with this new fund, you know, XYZ, you know, links capital fund four with these three or four guys who just start up their new fund, or you want to work with Northcastle, like, you know, think about that or do some research before you like make a, a decision. How does, how has that been going in? Uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, appreciate the, the comment and the question there. I mean, um, our brand is very important to us and, and valuable to us. And um, we, when we meet entrepreneurs, 
um, you know, more, more often than not, they've heard of us and they've heard good things about us. We, we do take our reputation very seriously, our, our approach to partnership um, with executive teams, management teams, entrepreneurs, you know, very seriously. Uh, and quite honestly, the entire ecosystem, right? So we, 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 we take, you know, integrity and respect and partnership uh, as, 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 you know, the highest of our values. And so, we do talk about that when we're meeting teams for the first time. We do talk about that inside competitive processes. I think uh, company advisors uh, uh, like yourself know us and and will vouch for that to sellers that it does matter. Um, there's always a tension, right? And so one of the things we talk about when we decide where to spend our time internally uh, is the seller dynamics. And so we are highly unlikely to invest our time in to a sale process from a private equity firm um, or a sale process that has a dozen shareholders and where fiduciary duty to take the highest price is a, is a, a major driver uh, of the outcome of a process or evaluation. We are much more likely to spend 95% of our times with entrepreneurs who control that decision where they can make that trade-off. They can say, well, so-and-so fund is, is going to give us, you know, a 10% higher valuation, but, you know, North Castle's reputation is, is what it is, their experience level. Um, and so I think we do end up um, uh, sometimes getting uh, uh, investments done for a different price than, than the clearing price, if you will. Having said that, we certainly pay our very fair, very fair valuations um, uh, for growth equity and for for control investing because price does matter. But we're, we 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 continue to invest in our brand and our reputation for that for that reason. Got it. So one one of the other questions I want to ask because it's been coming up a lot with entrepreneurs. They're like, hey, if I sell to this private equity firm, you know, are they going to flip this business in two or three years? You know, for for our audience here, typically you got a ten year fund. You kind of invest that over five to six years, maybe leave some reserve capital, and you know you've gone back to your investors. So it's a ten year plan. I'm assuming that there's no shortage of private equity firms that are larger than Northcastle that are calling you weekly to try and buy some of your portfolio companies because they know it's audited. You guys have you know financials controls in place and. You know, at some point, if I was a fly in the room, you know, and, and you guys own, let's say, take the crunch franchisee as an example, like, hey, guys, we can sell this business for a lot of money, but like, I'd rather own it. Like, why do I, I'm going to have to go and try and find something just like this. That's and right. there's a supply demand imbalance where there aren't as many great companies. So, yeah, we can make this, but let's let's keep growing it. Like, why 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 sell it to the next guy? Yeah, we constantly have, you know, sell versus hold discussions internally. And whether that's because we're reacting to an inbound inquiry that seems credible um, or deciding, um, you know, as a board, as a shareholder group, when to hire uh, an investment bank uh, to help us, you know, sell a business. And I mean, you characterize the conversation pretty perfectly. Sometimes it is like, well, this thing has great room to run. Like, why would we sell this great company? Uh, but that is balanced against, um, uh, you know, a couple things. One is we have a, a a mission and a and a product, which is to return money to our shareholders, yeah. um, and we have to turn that around. And so um, uh, we we take that seriously. You know, two is 
when we do sell something, we want to make sure it has lots of room to run ahead of it so that we get a, a premium price. And, and we want to be selling great businesses that are going to do well in someone else's hands as well. I think we're pretty proud that most of our businesses have done really well, um, you know, post our, our, our exit, right? We're selling quality companies with quality management teams and, and plans in place. And, and so that is a, a heavy debate. And the last thing, and boy, you know, the never more obvious of a statement to say it right now is, stuff happens right so um uh you know uh no what nobody saw this coming and you know usually the stuff happens is is typically you know a a, 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 not a COVID conversation but a you know recession conversation uh or a geopolitical you know uh issue conversation but you you every time you continue to own something you in theory take a risk that something happens and obviously no better example than COVID which was yeah just crazy yeah. So, so last question, and this is something I've been kind of grappling with myself. So I'd love to get your perspective, um, you know, doing leverage buyouts and doing growth equity deals with businesses that are stable. Um, and I've kind of withstood the test of time. I feel like the, the speed of innovation and like the desire to, to do something as soon as possible is like thrust upon management teams and companies to the point where, it's almost like you're literally, you know, going hundred miles an hour and you're still trying to keep the wheels on and we're going to go and now embrace some new technology or we're going to go into some other market channel. How do you kind of calibrate? Look guys, like we're trying to grow this business, like a crunch is an example. Like we're going to grow this business like 10 or 15% of the year. Like we're not looking to double the size of the company. Like that's not what we want you to do. And that's not what our investors want us to do. And that comes with its level of risk or with, echelon, you know, as an example, hey, we're not going to go raise $500 million and put an advertisement on, you know, MSNBC, CNN, and, you know, Good Morning America every day. So, you know, how do you kind of calibrate, look, this is what we want to achieve, and this is achievable. And like, we don't have to run a, a thousand miles an hour and, and potentially end up, you know, hitting a guardrail. Yeah, I mean, we're not venture capital, right? So we're, we're, we are trying to take reasonable risks, and, uh, you know, but but not risk that potentially destroy what otherwise might be a good business. And when you when you do push, you know, really hard on that growth accelerator, um, you are taking uh, that sort of downside risk. So every investment we go into, and again, we spend almost all of our capital with entrepreneurs. So um, we we go into that investment with what we internally call an operating blueprint, the strategic plan. Yeah. Um, and if there's alignment around that plan, great, then we're the right investors and, and we, you know, lock arms and go execute that. And if there's not, then we're not the right investors. And we have that conversation up front. And so, you know, um, you brought up two great examples where, uh, you know, Crunch is a, you know, obviously stable, uh, you know, health club business. And um, the question is how fast do we want to add stores and markets and, and the faster you go in theory, the more times you're taking risk on making bad decisions or, um, or whatever the case, you know, may, may be, but there, you know, we, we, we spend time up front with the management team. We put in the right infrastructure to allow us to grow faster than they had grown historically. And that company happens to have just, you know, it's just an absolutely phenomenal management team. And, you know, on the other side of the coin where you have a, a really high growth business like Echelon, you're going into it to invest in that high growth, right? That's why you're doing it. And your valuation, you know, going to require you to achieve that, right? So you're coming in at a multiple of revenue to per our earlier conversation. And 
you better achieve certain growth targets or, or the model's not going to work. Um, and so you have to believe in the, 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 the company's ability, the category's ability and the team's ability to go out and, you know, achieve that, uh, uh, outcome. So it's a case by case basis. I think, you know, with Barry's as a last example, sorry if this is going a little long, you know, we, we went, you know, to use the Barry's term jog, run, sprint, right. And pre COVID, but when we first started, we, uh, you know, only opened a handful of stores and then we opened a handful plus and, you know, last year we opened double digit, right. So, um, you sort of build that infrastructure and grow your way into the higher growth, uh, period. Awesome. All right, man. Well, it was great talking to you. I'm glad we uh, got the uh, chance to kick off the new year with you forward to, uh, sharing and collaborating to make sure our industry uh, comes out as the new shining essential business in our sector continues to help millions of people. And you guys providing capital in a capitalist society is an important part of the pieces of the puzzle because you can't get anything done unless you got capital. So for sure, continue to uh, wave the North Castle flag. And I look forward to seeing you in person as soon as possible. Thanks, Pete. Appreciate everything. Thanks for having me. See you, man. Thank you. Bye, guys. As we continue to build our Halo Talks email notification database, want to offer you a free $10 instant gift card from our friends at Promotion Vault. Also to show you how easy it is to offer your members and prospects and clients the ability to get desired actions out of them and reward them in real time, go to halotalks.com, put your email address into the pop-up box, see how it works, get a free $10 gift card from us, and uh, keep listening and making everybody great.